You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Welcome to episode four of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and my partner Bob is lost somewhere in the Wi-Fi in his library. Actually, he had a Wi-Fi emergency, so he couldn't make this episode, but we send him our best regards. Uh, so we're coming to you today from the Sachin Public Library in Holbrook, New York, their beautiful Lillian DeVere local history room. If this is the first time you're listening, thanks for coming. Uh, the Library Pros podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to check us out and subscribe on our RSS feed, iTunes, Android, email, and now on Google Play, if you can find us on Google Play. They really need to straighten that out. Links and notes from today's podcast can be found on our website, www.thelibrarypros.com, on Twitter at, at @thelibrarypros, or on Facebook at, at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. Today, I am very excited to have our guest, Melanie Cardone-Leathers. Melanie is a local history librarian and tech guru at the Longwood Public Library in Middle Island, New York. Mel is, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I just messed up. Melanie, hi, welcome to the show. <laughs> hi, Chris. <laughs> She's used to me messing up all the time. We used to work together at Longwood. Melanie's going to talk to us today about how she utilizes technology to digitize her vast local history collection, how she helped Chris, that's me, uh, with photos that uh, I found that were connected to the Canton Free Library. And if you don't know about that, you need to go back to episode two and listen to episode two because it's a great episode talking about Canton Library, which is way upstate in upstate New York. And she actually helped me well, we worked together. I, I think I was okay doing it, right? I wasn't too bad. You weren't too bad. I wasn't too <laughs> bad. Uh, identifying the pictures, and we had that aha moment. But we're going to talk about that a little bit later. It was a fun time. Right. And we also uh, went through a, uh, a lot of uh, outreach in helping people with their devices. So, with that said, we're going to talk a little bit about that stuff later. But first, we're going to talk about a little bit about Melanie and... And the Longwood Public Library. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a quiz now. <laughs> I'm good at quizzes. Okay. So tell us how you started in the library field because only because I know you. I mm-hmm. know that you have like all these different hats that you wear outside mm-hmm. the library yes. and before you actually got into the library world. So um, so first of all, where did you get your master's degree? I got my master's from Queens College. Okay. Um, when I was looking at the schools, I knew that CW Post had a really great uh, rare books collection but, um, program, but unfortunately I couldn't afford CW Post, so I had to make a practical decision and I went to Queens and I really enjoyed it. Okay, so tell me a little bit about what you did before you went into the library world because I think it's really interesting. <sighs> what didn't I do? Um, <laughs> <laughs> basically, my very long. Re- remember, we don't have the explicit. Uh, label on okay, iTunes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So I'll do the nice little professional version. No. Um, I basically very squirrely went from uh, Army Reserves in high school to mil- uh, the U.S. Naval Academy um, for, uh, in college for two years. Left there, went to Johnson & Wales University for baking and pastry. Met my future husband there. We got married. He went into the Army. We went to Germany and then Fort Knox. At Fort Knox, Kentucky, I went to University of Louisville where I finished up my English degree 
And while I was there, I said to my uh, professor, I don't want to be a teacher, but I want to go on with my English degree. What can I do? He said, become a rare books buyer. And I said, how do you do that? He said, become a librarian. So then that's why I looked into Queens College and CW Post and end up picking Queens College. Wow. Yeah, like I said, very squirrely. I left some, a lot of it out, but that was the long and short of it. <laughs> and you do make some amazing cakes. Yes, I still do cakes on the side. I have a couple lined up for the next couple I of love weeks. It. <laughs> so where was your first librarian job? Longwood. I've been at Longwood and only at Longwood since I started. When we came back from Germany, um, Roger was deployed to Iraq in 2003, and I said to my mother, what can I do around here with a four-month-old baby? And she said, go to the library. So I was going to the library a lot, and then when I came back um, to the island after us being in uh, Fort Knox. To the island, you mean Long Island? Long Island, yeah, sorry. Um, Sorry, we're like a Long Island, New (laughs) York-based but we have listeners all over the country, so we have to apologize if we sound like we're talking a little too local sometimes. Yeah, um, especially local with local history, so that's part of my, I'll have to remember that. It's your thing. Yeah, exactly. But I um, was looking for a book, and the head of the reference department said, oh, we hire people who are going to school, uh, librarian trainees. So I said, okay, and I applied, and then I got the local history, I got the part-time librarian job there. And I remember then, that. Yep. And I was like a deer in headlights because <laughs> it was it was different learning, being in school learning and then actually being on the desk. So it was a great experience though. That's cool. So what drew, drew you to local history? I've always been a history geek. I've always loved history. Um, I always joke around that I can tell you what happened, you know, at the start of the Middle Ages, but I can't tell you what I did yesterday. Um, when I, rem- I clearly remember being probably in third or fourth grade and I was going to elementary school on our bus and there were several houses that were from the 1800s in my town in Corm when I lived there. And they, around the 80s and 90s, they started burning down either by uh, accident or arson, I'm not too sure. And I just remember being that age and being annoyed by that. So I've always had a love for history, especially local history. And when I came back to um, and lo- worked at Longwood, I expressed my interest there. And I figured it'd be a good way to tie in the whole rare books and archives side of what I studied in school. That is very cool. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about, um, you s- you're a certified archivist, Yes, correct? I'm a certified archivist. Um, I, there are a couple different ways you can become a certified archivist or an archivist. You can take classes in school. New York State has an archive certificate that you can take. Uh, I did some of those classes in school, and uh, at the time it was archives. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. It was archives and records management. Um, but what I did was I actually took a test through the um, uh, Academy of Certified Archivists and qualified that way, and then I had just had to submit paperwork saying I work X amount of hours in an archive, so I now technically, like, I can actually write my name, you know, Cardone Leathers, MLS, CA, but I don't want to be that pretentious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's something that a lot of librarians really don't know about. Um, I always joke around when I tell people that sometimes even my coworkers don't know exactly what I do because it's 
we are similar to librarians, but we take care of older things. And at the same time, it's a different way of cataloging and doing metadata. Okay, so why don't you tell me a little bit about Longwood, um, how, how large it is, how large it is, and, and all that, all those good things. Historically, you know, historically, it's it like you said before, it's a very historical area. Yes, a lot of people are, are surprised whenever they come into the room because they don't think we have that much history there. Um, we do have a decent amount of history in our in our community. It's made up of several towns: Gordon Heights, parts of Medford, Corum, Yapank, Middle Island, Ridge, a little bit of Shirley, and uh, Lake Panamoka. We have several houses, or used to have several houses in the area that date back, you know, as far back from the 1600s, 1700s time period. The most well-preserved area in our community, I would say, is Yapank. They have a really great uh, historical downtown. Um, where they've kept up a lot of the houses. But throughout all the communities, there are little historical areas. Um, the biggest part of my collection is the Camp Upton collection, which is now Brookhaven National Lab in Ridge. But during World War I and World War II, that area was a training camp for the Army. Mm -hmm. And um, at one time in, during World War II, even German and I think Japanese and Italian POWs were held there. So we have a large collection of postcards and memorabilia and things like that, plus other images from all around the area. So it's, it's a pretty diverse community. Uh, we have little claims to fame, but for the most part, it's, it's very rich in history. Um, it's not, you know, national well-known, but it's still for the, your For backyard. Long Island, it's known for, for Long history. Island, yeah. it's a really good area. Okay, so tell me a little bit about Longwood and the technology that the library has, like public access computers, scanners, printers, all that kind of thing. We have a lot of different things. Um, we, of course, have several public access com computers. I think in the adult department, we have about 22 of them. We have... Uh, and they're pretty heavily used. They right? are extremely heavily used. It's pretty much as soon as we open till the moment we close, someone's on the computer mm -hmm. using them to do everything from type papers to filing... Uh, information for the government to just browsing the web or you know printing things off. We also have uh, two scanners. One is a Kodak scanner mm -hmm. that I call the shoebox scanner because it can scan basically a shoebox full of old paper, uh, photos in a couple of minutes. That's used steadily, I would say. Mm -hmm. A lot of people now trying to digitize things. There's also another flatbed scanner. We have copiers. We have um, readers for people who have hard of sight. And then down uh, in circulation, we also have uh, nooks that we circulate for adults, children, and uh, young adults. Are they preloaded with titles? They're preloaded with titles. Mm -hmm. uh, like, for instance, for the teen ones, they are preloaded with their high school list books or whatever's popular right That's now. That's really smart. Yeah. So that way, if the book is checked out, we can at least hand them that. So um, do you own those digital copies or are they through overdrive? Those are, we actually own them. We that have looks, an account set up. Uh, we, and then also we have Hoopla. Hoopla, we just added uh, e-books and comic books to that service now. We used to only do audiobooks. Mm -hmm. We have one click digital. We have, you know, overdrive. We have a lot of digital services as well that people can access from home through their own devices. Okay. And then um, in children's, they have iPads that can go circulate within the library. Okay, so, so they can take them with them. 
Yeah. Through the, through the building. Yeah. So if a parent has to do work on a computer or do some homework, they can check out an iPad for the child. We also um, are always thinking about different things. We have uh, wireless printing where you can actually print from home. Um, do you know which service you have for that? Because there's so many different services. This is an HP e-print thing? Yeah. it's One of them is HP... The app, I would have to look at my phone. Um, I think it's HPE print. Something like that. It's like an email address that you can email to, but then there's like a separate app that you can actually do through your phone. Mm -hmm. It's like one print, I think, or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it's called off the top of my head. Is that heavily used too or no? It's not heavily used, but we're pushing it more now because we pretty much have had it for a little while now. um, But now that we're settled in the new building, because we had a renovation uh, for the past about two and a half years and then we moved in back in October of last year and um, so we were now pushing that a little bit more especially okay. in-house if our printing system goes down right because like any other service if you don't push it and promote it exactly it's, just, it's not going to get used exactly but once people we explain to people they like it it's especially helpful for people who come in and need to print something from their phones yeah and that seems to be um, especially with mobile technology now that seems to be the way things are going yeah 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 so it's a lot easier now instead of having them to sit down a computer and email it to themselves or something like that. They can just print straight from there. Well, let me ask you a little bit more about your local history room. Mm-hmm. Now you have a brand new local history yes, room. I now do. the whole library is brand the new. The whole library but is brand new. But this is a new, new redesign. Yes. The, the name of the local history room is still the Bayless room? Yes, it's the Bayless Can you explain room. who Mr. Bayless was? The Baylesses were a f- uh, pretty prominent family in the area. Um, and Thomas Bayless was... A historian of the area as well. In the 1970s, uh, around the time when he passed away, they donated his personal collection to the library, and that started out as the basically the kernel of the uh, the room. It's grown extremely um, exponentially since there since then. Mm-hmm. But they also donated their family papers. Um, Mr. Uh, M- Mr. Bayless. <laughs> we're being peeped we're being, at yes someone from from the stage from public library is my, our dear friend dana matola is taking our picture <laughs> <laughs> Let the library world is very small so we know pretty much everybody. yeah we know it. it's a big county but we kind of know everyone it's kind of it's, it's a great place to work it's a great yeah. county yeah so tell me a little bit about your local history do you actually have somebody working with you or are you the are you like a department of one when i started out I was actually hired underneath the great and wonderful Cindy Shaka. Yes, um, we love Cindy. She's yeah. great. She, uh, I was hired full-time basically to work underneath her because she was in the, she was basically retiring, and I was able to train underneath her. But then since then, I've been pretty much a one-woman show. I've had interns and some volunteers who sometimes come by and help me. The interns are great because I get them from the local uh, library schools, and they are going for their archive certificate so I can give them a project. And what's great about using them is that they're really up to date with all the new techie things like Omika or different services that we can use for um, digitizing or cataloging or you know, putting our content up online. But pretty much it's just me. Um, just recently, one of the part-time librarians had expressed interest in assisting me so she went to a couple of classes through our systems uh county system Suffolk County library system yeah and also through Lilric 
that okay. too. Um, they offered some archives classes that she took because she didn't specialize in archives when she was in school, but she was always interested in it. So she's we've been slowly gearing her up to help me. And when I by slowly, I just mean that I don't have enough time to sit down with her and actually <laughs> <laughs> have her do it because I'm wearing so many different hats there. <laughs> Well, it's funny that you say wearing different hats because I know that you do more than just local history at the library. Yes. So tell us some about some of the other duties, training, and, and other things that have given you the badge tech nerd. I was one of the, uh, for the long time, I was the Apple go-to person. Um, so I developed and would do uh, classes for the Apple devices. Uh, I started doing outreach and you were involved with that. Right. Where we would go to local communities. It was a way for us to do outreach when we were under renovation for two years that we were able to go to different communities in the area and do either one-on-one -on -one tech help or teach classes there. Um, I've also taught and developed classes within the library uh, on tech things and then pretty much just stay up to date on what's, coming out and what's available now mm -hmm. I seen I lean more towards the Apple devices um, I do know some information about the Androids but the Androids are so fragmented and finicky and finicky and uh, you always cringe whenever someone comes in and says I bought this at CVS for $99 <laughs> why won't it work like my son's Apple device because you spent $99 um, but you kind of have to be open to know everything not know everything but be open you have to, to be a jack of all trades. Yes. Yeah. It's and also, you know, just regular help on the computers, Word, Excel, uh, pretty much everything. Yeah. And and that seems to be the what the role of the librarian is changing. Yes. In that everything is not everything, but a lot of what we do. I, I can only speak for myself from previously working at Longwood and working here now at Sachem, that, you know, a majority of what I do is tech help. Yes which kind of makes me happy because that's the stuff I like. Yeah. But, you know, there are other librarians that, you know. We'll grumble about it. We'll grumble and say, uh, where's Chris? Yeah. Is Chris here today? Uh, that was, and that was me. That's why I finally had to say, I need someone to help me. And, and thankfully you stepped up then too, because even though you're on the dark side with an Android, you came over. Yes, I too. did. <laughs> well, wait, no, I thought I came over to the yeah, dark side. I think you side. did came over to the dark side. We have with cookies. With Apple. Yes, yes, so, yes, you did. Yes. So, yes, I... <laughs> yes, that's a long and sordid story about my last Android device. But uh, I, I went promptly after a, uh, an incident where the thing just rebooted during a crisis. And I went right after work that day, mm -hmm. right to Apple, right to the Apple store and bought an iPhone. And you never look back. Uh, why would I? I mean, I'm recording this with an, an iPhone. Yep, so exactly. It's, uh, it's amazing. Not, Android has gotten better, I have oh, to yes. say. It's gotten much better. No, they're, they're like I said, they're... The stuff that people bring in that's, I always say, you know, you get what you pay for. And the people, <laughs> and it's unfortunate, but um, th uh, they've gotten better and they're more consistent. But still, you'll have, I guess because at the library, we see a lot of different devices. It's not just, you know, the higher end ones. It's the whole entire gamut. Right. Uh, and on top of that, uh, in our community, we have a lot of hand-me-downs. So it'll be someone coming in saying their grandson or their son or their granddaughter or their daughter gave them this device. How do we use it? And it's, you know, three models ago because they wanted to give their phone away or their iPad away or their, you know, d device away. But it's out of date. Yeah. 
And then we have to kind of like step back in time a little bit mentally to figure out how to do things. Because exactly. You can't update them anymore and things like that. Yeah. So it's always interesting. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for telling me a little bit about yourself in Longwood. And after a short break, um, we're going to talk more to, with Melanie about uh, local, her local history collection, her project digitizing, and some of the technology-based things that she does in her library. So we will be back in just a moment. Melanie Cardone Leathers from the Longwood Public Library, and we're going to talk a little bit more about um, <clears throat> a little bit about uh, what Melanie does in her local history room and some other fun stuff too. So we briefly discussed the hamlets in the district and the rich history connected to these towns. So the history, the local history room, expanded with the, along with the entire mm-hmm. building, like we said earlier. Yeah. And it was a rather large renovation, wasn't it? Yes, it was a very large and extensive renovation. Um, basically, we shut down, um, moved out of the library about two years ago, two and a half years ago, and did a complete overhaul and expansion of the library. Like, they went down to the cinder box. Yeah, pretty much. They stripped it down to everything was moved out, and then they added, I think, about 15,000 square feet Um so the part of the library that I'm in now, the local history room and adult reference, that's a whole new section. And it, they moved it around. Children's used to be up front, right at the front door, and those little buggers would make a run for it. They moved it all the way to the back. They moved the community rooms and some of the program rooms downstairs so people would have to go upstairs. We added study rooms. And then one of the best things we added, of course, was a unified local history room because previously my office wasn't, in the local history room, so I would have to walk across the building and grab stuff and work on it in my office mm-hmm. or work on the local history room in there. I remember that. Yeah. It, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, I shouldn't complain about it, but still with my oh, Dory-like brain, I would be walking halfway across the building and be like, what was I going to get? Or someone would ask me a question about an iPad or an iPhone, and then I, my whole moment would be waylaid, so... It's nice to be in the room together because people can see me in there and they know the room is open and they'll come in and just ask questions. So it's it's really great being in there with my collection again. Okay, so I have to say, because I've seen some of the things, you have some treasures in there. Yeah. Some really, really amazing things. Now, other than what you received from the Bayless family, where do you get your treasures from? Donations. Uh, people will drop off stuff to us. Um, I always put it out there that if you're going to move or do spring cleaning and you have something that ties the family to your the community, bring it to me. I'll take care of it. Uh, for the most part, though, um, our previous director, Mr. Clemens, he would find things on eBay or just walking around places, and then he still brings me things. 
my favorite thing he brought to me recently was, I think about uh, two years ago, he brought me some small pictures. Um, they're probably not even three by twos. And he found them down in Maryland. He was visiting his brother, apparently, and he found them in a thrift store. And after going through all the images, it turns out they were from Camp Upton's 77th Division when they were overseas in France. Wow. And um, using my little uh, magnifying glass, I was able to see one piece of artillery that had captured by the 77th Division and the date on it. And I, it was, I was able to tie those photos that he randomly found to the guys from our community when they left um, to go fight overseas. But I get a lot of different things from different places. Um, amazingly enough, now eBay is the biggest place. We always see, th see things listed on there. But for the most part, too, like I said, there's people in the community who you know are either moving or they don't want to have these images anymore. They give them to us, and we add them to the collection. So tell me what your fi most... Um what your greatest treasures are, the things that the, the pieces that you hold near and dear to your heart. Like if the building caught on fire, <laughs> these are the ones you would grab. Oh, that would be hard. I'm probably standing in the local history room with a big old fire I think extinguisher. You break the window and just yeah, start throwing things out, right? Yeah, I think I would start throwing things out the window. Um, the off the top of my head, um, pretty much the Bayless brother. Civil War letters. Um, those are one of my favorites. I bring a copy of them with me to the junior high school when I do career day. Uh, I always say that being a librarian and an archivist, I'm not the hottest ticket when I go to career day at the junior high school, especially when there's like a Maserati dealer out there <laughs> and, and uh, you know, uh, army guys all over the place. Um, so I bring things from the local community. And one of them is the last letter that the Bayless brothers wrote home um, during the Civil War because they were killed um, during the Battle of Cold Harbor on June 3rd and 4th, I think it's 1864. And um, we have their letters home. And to me, those are the best ones. I, I enjoy them a lot because they remind me the letters that my husband wrote home to me when he was in Iraq. And um, I always bring up to the kids that I can show them a letter from over 150 years ago, but the emails my husband sent me from Iraq 13 years ago don't exist anymore because they were deleted. Mm -hmm. um, so it's those are some of my favorites. Also the the postcards from the soldiers when they were training at Camp Upton. When I did my internship at Longwood, I would catalog and met, do metadata for the postcards and then spend a couple of minutes on Ancestry to find out what happened to these guys because I got so attached to them because they would write simple letters home like I miss you and things like that or you know meet me here and I wanted to find out what happened to them so those are some of my most you know close to my heart things and then it's also the little things too like um, we have a last will and testament from 1777 that I think is is amazing because it's one of the oldest things in our collection, but it's it's little things like that. I get really really geeky over, you know, my history collection. You know, I really so. have to say that when you're speak when you're speaking about <laughs> all this, the smile on your face is like if you if your smile was the sun, this room would be so bright I wouldn't even be able to see you. Yeah, I love my collection. I love the stuff in it. I'm really happy I'm able to work with it because it's it's amazing. And I want to definitely say that a lot of people, like I said, they don't realize it that we have this heat in our library, but pretty much every library 
or every town has something similar to this. There's local history collections, there's historical societies, you know, even churches and stuff like that. They have these great little collections that can bring you the history that you're learning about closer to you and not just learning at a national level but your own backyard so it's it's great i love having and having it being able to take care of it it really is cool (laughs) so do you have you know well first of all other than books what else do you have by way of historical material now i know you have maps and things like that that's the difference between a library and an archive and a library we basically our our main collection of books Mm -hmm. now it's dvds and cds and stuff like that um but for an archive it's papers and manuscripts so i have a lot of those i have uh like i said the letters i have photographs i have knickknacks and memorabilia um i have uh Oh, it's salt and pepper shaker from Camp Upton that one of the soldiers got as a you know a souvenir to give home. Um, I have an ashtray from Camp Siegfried, which was a Nazi mm. camp from Yapank. You want to explain that for people who don't know about what Camp Siegfried was? Uh, in the 1930s, all across the country, mainly in the Northeast, there were uh, the German American Bund, and they sponsored camps for the. I guess the mm-hmm. raising of proper German kids in America, uh, and Yapank had Camp Siegfried, and it, which was on the shores which, of Yapank Lake. Yes, yeah, it's on the shores of a lake, so it was a perfect little setting to have a camp. Actually, now um, that property was taken over. Most of that property was taken over by uh, a Girl Scout camp, oddly enough. So That's the, right. the camp is still being used, but not in the same way. Um, camp Sabago. There's another one, Camp Sabago. No, Camp Sabago is the Boy is Scout camp, I think. No, that's right? the Bayport one. I can't. No, remember. the one in Bayport's at Camp Edie. Oh yeah, so then it's Camp Sabago. So yeah, that's what yeah. it's called. And the Boy Scouts are also in that area right. too, as well. So um, the, I know just because my kids go to go to Camp Edie. Yeah, they Madeline do horseback went riding. To, yeah, and they, they bring them over to, to Sabago. Yeah, that's where um, my daughter went. She went to the camp there and. I'd always just giggle to myself, like, I know the history of this area. Yeah, this is the camp. Yeah. <laughs> but they, we have pictures of the kids being trained, you know, you know, do camping and stuff there. But the really interesting thing was they would have 20,000 people come out um, on weekends. They, The Long Island Railroad actually had something called the Camp Siegfried Special, where people would come out on weekends. Um, it was a known thing. I think it shut down, though, in 1938 because of... Um, a couple of lawsuits and things like Wasn't that. The New York Times involved with that too. The New They're York, exposing it. Yeah, the New York Times. I think actually the Chicago one, of the Chicago papers, Chicago Sun Times or something like that. That one was really big in it. They infiltrated the camp and took pictures, and it was a whole thing with um, oath. You couldn't do make an oath to another group, and mm-hmm. that's what they were doing in the camps. So that's one of the reasons why they were shut down. But they, the streets were named after Berliner Strasse and Hitler Strasse and. It's it was really interesting and um, the history is still there. So we have some of those things from that collection. We have postcards, we have mugs, we have um, a lot of different things from there. And I, I'm, I'm the type of person who believes that history should be out there. You shouldn't hide it. Right. And um, it's not hidden. People know about it in the community. It's outsiders who come in. They don't realize that. But we're like, yeah, it used to be a German camp. We know all about it. <laughs> yeah. 
because the, the roads are now named, you know, German Boulevard and things like that. Um, but it's a really interesting history because that camp was several different ones were all across. I think New Jersey had a couple of them too. Um, so it wasn't just us. It, they was, it was a normal thing uh, during that time period before. It, I always say it was before we, this outbreak of World War II. Well, what's interesting too is you, you talk about the outbreak of World War II. The proximity between Camp Siegfried and Camp Upton yes. was pretty darn close. Yeah. yeah. Um, and tell, can you tell me a little bit about the history of Camp Upton? Yeah, Camp Upton was established uh, the first time around in 1917, 1918. Um, they came in, they cleared down the the whole entire area because it was pretty much Mostly swamp pine land. barrens, right? So yeah, pine barrens and swamp land. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of photographs of them building the camp. Um, you know, basically pulling up stumps and digging, digging the trenches. The trenches are still there. Um, the gun range that's in Ridge is the old former gun range from that time period as well. That. Yeah, it was a very large area, um, and through the years it shrunk down. Then what happened was after Camp uh, Upton was basically demobilized after the end of World War One, they replanted it with trees. Um, part really? of yeah, part of the um, like one the, the the national works things that they had going on, and then during the outbreak of World War Two, they didn't want to be caught off guard again with the l- slow start of training the troops that they created Camp Upton again by tearing down all the trees again and then reestablishing the camp, not uh, not early, not before we got into the war, but pretty much earlier than they did for World War One. And um, that area was later chosen to be a POW camp because it was far from the city. So you actually had to send the POWs out there. And they it had a rail hub, too. Yeah, it had a rail hub. Um, they, they were able to send them like into Brooklyn. And they, people would you know de- disembark from Brooklyn to go overseas. But it was far enough away but close enough to a major area to where they had, I think, about like 470 German, the Africa Corps that was captured during World War II, majority mm-hmm. of them were sent to, a lot of them were sent to um, Camp Upton. I wonder if they went back after the war. They did, and we actually have some of their papers. Basically, um, I know it's kind of illegal now with the Geneva Convention and stuff like that, but they were indoctrinated into American ways, and we have their papers, some of their papers of them, you know, being certified as being good American-ish sol- you know, citizens. And um, when we went back to Germany a couple of years ago, my family and I, because um, Roger, when he was stationed over there, we, um, we w- took our daughter back. And the tour guide actually said, because the German POWs were treated so well and, quote, unquote, re-educated, they, created, they were able to recreate a better Germany than what was previously you know, they were able to bring it build up from the ashes, basically. Wow. So even though we can't do that anymore because you, it actually on the paper says indoctrination and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it was really interesting. They had their own libraries. They were able to work. Um, the one benefit of growing up and living now in the community still is that when we bought our house in Ridge, which is the same town as Brookhaven National Lab and Camp Upton, um, one of our neighbors said how the guy he bought his house from was an old-timer, and he remembered the POWs being marched from Camp Upton to Ridge, which was a bunch of potato farms then, and he remembered seeing them you know, when he was little, and then another patron said the same thing too. She saw them pretty much all the way up into Corm because they were being marched out to do 
to do manual to do labor. manual labor. They were able to earn money, so they able to buy cigarettes and you know and read books and things like that. So um, it was it's pretty interesting that, that is neat. That really is neat. Yeah. Okay, so you know they really and now it's it's Brookhaven National Lab. Yes. Which yeah. is. Tell us a little bit about what happened after the war and what happened. Basically, 1946 time period, they shut down the post. They sold off everything. Um, so th I think there's like a couple of communities that are actually built from the old houses and things like that. Wow, that's some, cool. Yeah, um, some of the, the barracks and stuff, they remained on post for a little while. Um, I think only a handful of the original buildings are left now. But basically what happened was the Department of Energy created Brookhaven National Lab, and uh, it's a thriving, world-renowned lab right now. Um, they are in the process of trying to recreate a Camp Upton Museum um, closer to the beginning parts of the of Brookhaven National Lab, so you don't have to go through so much security to get on to the site. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's a really awesome place for science and for experiments and things like that. On and for history, too. And for history, too. Definitely. And yeah, and the really great thing about Brookhaven National Lab is during the summer, they have something called Summer Sundays, where they have programs that run about, I think about for eight weeks during the summer, where every Sunday they open up the, I keep on wanting to say post, but they keep on opening the lab up and the scientists will do things. You know, they'll have shows, they'll, they'll explain things. Um, and I uh, last year they actually started doing some for the for the Camp Upton collection as well. That's cool. Yeah. So, what's really kind of interesting is the project that you're working on, where you're digitizing yes your collection. Now we'll put a link on the website for it, but in case you don't have access to the website, which is thelibrarypros.com. If okay. you just say Longwood, if you go to longwoodlibrary.org, okay, and then you look for I think under collections. Um, you look for local history, um, but it's the local history project or something. Local like that? history, yeah, this is local history. If you click there, you will find what we have digitized so far. Okay, so tell me a little bit about the project. Oh, where to start with it? It's a never-ending <laughs> project. Um, I was playing with it. I like the way it was actually organized. Yes, yeah. Um, basically, what I do is I will get whatever I want to digitize. I will uh, use my scanner. I typically scan um, a JPEG copy to put up online, but also a TIFF copy to archive. Okay. And then um, it's now a part of New York State, uh, a New York State project. So our collection is now at the state level. It used to be for Long Island Memories, which was local. But um, I scan the item. I The best part is I get to stare at a postcard and you're try smiling to, again yeah i know i this is because this is where like my geeky side comes out people <laughs> always like what are you doing and i'm like i have my face with a with a magnifying glass up to a postcard i'm like oh, I'm i trying remember to those days yeah and i walk around the building what is this what does this say um didn't we do that with a um one a, a newspaper or something that was on a desk in yes, a store yes we we're trying to figure out when the picture was taken yes um a patron um who moved out of the district he had put up a picture of um a family member in a store and they wanted to know when the picture was taken and by looking at the newsday headline um and I couldn't read it properly, so I threw it out there to all my coworkers, and we figured out 
you know when it happened, when the when the approximate date. We were um, it was a lot of fun because a lot of my like I said, my, a lot of my coworkers sometimes don't realize what I do. Um, <laughs> but it was kind of it was kind of fun because they're like, oh, this is awesome. We're, it was like a puzzle. You it's a lot of puzzles you have to solve. It really is. Fun. Yeah. Um, like I've written to different places. I've called different places, especially with the uh, the Camp Upton items. I've you know written things to the you know the Army Signal Corps Museum. Um, I've sent things like overseas to see if they can be identified. It's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of mystery work. It's it's puzzles to be solved. So tell me a little bit about the technology that you use to digitize the the, uh, the items. It's um, I have an in house. I have a couple of different scanners. I have like I said the shoebox scanner, which is through Kodak. Um, sometimes if I just want to do a quick digitization of it, I'll have it go through there. If it's something more fragile or I want a higher quality, I have, I now have a flatbed scanner that I use. You don't use the Envisionware one anymore? Um, I do for... Because the Envisionware scanner actually is pretty, it's fast it's and it's, fast. it's very good. Um, I do for my larger items, mm -hmm. um, because the scanner that I have now is a little bit on the smaller side. So if it's anything bigger than, like, eight and a half by 11, I'll use the Envisionware scanner. Mm -hmm. um, the only problem with that is it scans fast, but at the level sometimes I need, I have actually locked up that scanner. Um, <laughs> the first time we tested it I'm out. I'm not surprised. Yeah, because I'm like, oh, let me just put it on max. And no, it's, yeah. Um, but I, I, I use that sometimes too. But now that I'm back in my collection, I like to, I, I'm able to sit down on my desk and scan at my desk and use the Envisionware scanner or the shoebox scanner. Uh -huh. I would have to go out onto the floor. But um, I just actually, actually, I forgot. There's another scanner that I use sometimes because that one does slides. Um, one of our flatbed scanners has a slide adapter that oh, I cool. will use as well. And it's kind of funny doing those because I'm always like, which way does it go? Because right, it can be backwards, right? Yeah, exactly. Just like a negative. Yep, yep. So that's always the fun part, trying to figure that out. So it's funny you mentioned that. What are some of the other challenges that, that you face when you're doing this kind of thing? Just di the general digitation, like digitate, the digitization. I know, I always trip over that oh, word man. too. <laughs> Come up with a better word, like, like I don't know, peanut just, butter or yeah, something. Yeah, just scan, just scan it. Because um, I know just from knowing what you have, you have some rather large yes. maps and things like that. Do you just take out your iPhone and snap a picture? or If, um, if I want to, because like some of the things I also do now is I upload to our Facebook page. Um, or Give it a plug. What's the Facebook page? It's just Longwood Library. Okay. Um, yeah, the, we, we have a Longwood Library Facebook page, and I, you can find it on our website. And um, I used to do like Throwback Thursdays and Flashback Fridays, but now pretty much it's if I find something that I'm working on that's interesting, I will upload it. A lot of times with those, I will just snap a picture of them. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, in 1999, um, Ridge Elementary won a nationwide contest to have Matchbox cars created after them. And they also got uh, $25,000 that went towards a playground. Okay. I can't scan those items because they're not flat. Um, and I'm not as snazzy as you are with your um, you know, light box and stuff like oh, that. Oh, photography, yeah. Yeah, with photography. <laughs> so basically what I do is I just put them on my desk and I take a picture of them with my phone. Um, for the larger items, our library system does have a very large uh, scanner. Um, that sometimes what I'll do is I will wait until I have a couple of things to digitize, and then I'll bring them there. 
but for the most part, I can do most of my items in-house. Okay, now this is a question being asked by someone who's not an archivist. Okay. So oh God. I, how, how do you organize a digital collection versus a, a physical collection? Because I saw the way you had it organized on the website. It actually was kind of interesting to me because it was broken down into different categories. Yeah. When on our website, it's, it's cataloged or um, cat uh, categorized a little bit differently. Um, I just did it in a way that I know people would be interested in. What people usually come and they ask for. They ask for you know, images of people, um, the local towns, houses, things like that. Mm -hmm. So that's how I did that. Once you go onto the actual collection, though, once you click through the link, mm -hmm. it's pretty much broken down by subject. Um, we have separate collections, so we do have the overall Camp Upton collection, and then we have a photograph collection. Um, but that's very, it's, it's unwieldy. So the photographs are everything. So if you want to come in and look for a picture of someone, like a person, mm -hmm. uh, you would have to go to a photograph collection and then go through everything. On our end, through our website, I was able to create little links and searches that basically screened and filtered out or you know, narrowed it down to where all the houses would come up because the subject heading is houses. The towns will come up because one of the subject headings is you know, Middle Alamo Ridge. So I was able to break it down that way. Wow. Just to make it easier for people. Wow. It's, it's kind of big. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you know, when looking at all this material and knowing you and knowing you know, the collection that you have, you know that the, um, the Images of America series yes. by Acadia, have you considered compiling for a book just oh. to do... You know, the Longwood community or If or I like that. had someone else, several other... I've actually helped several books. Um, the Yapank one, um, there's going to be another one coming out soon for, I think, Jewish on Long Island. Um, I've helped things like that. But it's a lot of work. I mean, not just a lot of work as in, you know... It's hard, but they're very, very, very specific. I've had people coming back into the room repeatedly because the images aren't scanned properly. We were going to try to do something like that with Camp Upton, but that fell through. Um, we do have books that are published, um, not in-house, but I would say in-district, by the Longwood School District. Okay. Um, so we have the Bayless Brother letters that were um, typed up and published. The diary and images of Albert Bayless from the 1913 time period up until I would say about 1960. Um, those were done. So we do have books and uh, like early American settlers. So we are lucky enough in our district to have a way to produce our own books. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, um, we had a really great teacher, Mr. Paul and Franco, who put together a lot of things as well. And he's still working on things that way. But for the images of America, um, if someone came to me and said, do you have anything? I'd be glad to give them to them. And uh -huh. as long as they cite us and right. we've had other authors and things like that come to us too, but, um, at least not yet <laughs> for me to do it on my own. Wow. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. So now I actually want to talk about something that was near and dear to my heart. Okay. Was, was the Canton box. Yes. That was a lot of fun. The Canton box. If you haven't listened to episode two, um, my father purchased a footlocker back in the 70s from a co-worker in Queens, Queens, New York. And 
he used to like to refinish these old foot lockers and old trunks and things. And there was a whole collection of pictures and teaching certificates and all these mm -hmm. different things from anywhere from the 1890s through to about 19 teens, maybe early 20s. So these pictures and, and documents came into my possession from my father. So I, of course, right away texted Mel mm -hmm. and said, Guess it was what I found? It was the picture of the oh, you started with the picture of the World War One soldier yes. who had that deer in headlights look on his face. He was so young, and it was you know that picture that you gave to your family before you went overseas, and that's basically what started it. We started right. like picking that picture apart, and we actually found his service records, yes. what he did after the war, yeah. all that fun stuff, census records and things like that. Yeah. So we, I brought that back to my dad and said, "Look what I found," and he, he looked at me and he said, "Oh, really?" Let me show you this. <laughs> and when I saw the, the the box the box of stuff, which was so there was so much there, mm -hmm. at teaching certificates and pictures, and like and a will, a copy of a will, many wills yes. actually. Because yeah. when I brought it up there, the local history, uh, he's not a librarian, but he's the husband of the assistant director, and he's also he's on national public radio. He's on the North Country public radio system. Oh, cool! And his name is Guy Berard amazing guy he went through it all and read everything and he was able to, the same way if someone brought something to you at longwood he was able to connect the dots yeah. things made sense to him in those documents that would not have made any sense to us yeah with regard to who's deeded what who got which property they live in the houses of these people and that's what helps still. being like a local history librarian in your own area because if someone says something to you you can be like oh yeah xyz and you can look at something and connect the dots right. a lot of times that it's not out there but it's your own personal memory of the history of the area exactly so it was really kind of a fun thing because melanie and i used to work on friday nights yes. and friday nights were traditionally a quiet night for the most part after seven o'clock yeah so. six thirty-seven. So we started going through all of these pictures. And mm -hmm. I think we just kept saying, holy crap, holy crap, Pretty holy much, crap, yep. because everything was identified. Yep. The names of the people in the pictures were written on the back. So it was actually not so hard to try to figure out who these people were. But we had that smoking gun picture that was a plaque mm -hmm. that I forget exactly what it said. It said something donated in the memory of Benton to the Benton yes. Benton Library. And then when we went through the wills. In Canton, New yeah. York. And then when we went through the wills, we saw the listing of the donations in the will. Like, she she willed, you know, $1,000 to the, the Canton Library. And we were, because the part of the problem is we were looking, a lot of the records were down here, but then they had records we were coming up upstate, too. Right. And, you know, this is like where the technology side comes into it, too. Oh, God, yeah. Is that we were on Ancestry. We were on Google Maps. We were looking at their website. We were just all over the place to where, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we would have been like, eh, okay, it's not in the phone book. <laughs> you know, right. let's try calling them. Well, maybe. we had that aha moment where yeah. we said, I think you, in, in this fit of excitement, said, look it up on Google. Look it on Google. Let's look street level yeah. view, street view. Yeah, street view. And when we did that, <laughs> We actually saw, saw the, yeah. the plaque on the building, yep. the actual plaque. And we're looking at each other having this holy crap moment. Yeah, and we're we, zooming we, in as qu as much as we could with the poor And we resolution. were on the reference desk, so we couldn't be all like, yelling and screaming. But we were like, ah, like internally, just and, like, and this I, is awesome. The one thing I remember is you just saying, oh, you have to call them. You mm -hmm. have to call them. You have to call them. They're closed now. Oh, they're closed now. You're calling them tomorrow, right? You're going to call them. Um, you're calling I'm them tomorrow. Always the, that's, that's always my thing. I always think that the history should go home. 
And this, there was no reason for us to keep it. I mean, whenever someone comes in and they'll say to me, oh, I have this from Queens, I'm like, call the local library. Right. But this was something that, and I'm so happy because then they wanted it and they were just excited to have it back too. Ecstatic. Yeah, I mean, because you to have something like this come home because it wasn't just the wills and the deeds and you know the, the family information. There were a lot of photographs in there too and a lot of them were identified. Lots of photographs, a ton of photographs. Yeah, because I, I remember the one with the, the military ones too. Because they were they like were fixing a car or something. Yeah, like something like down like Jacksonville or something. Yeah, like in that. Jacksonville, Florida. And yeah. but then there was like a picture of a mother and a daughter, and the information was on the back. And I love it when people do that. It's just like oh, the holy grail of information where you're just like, I know who these people are. Well, what was kind of neat too is at first because there was actually an original Brooklyn Public Library library card yes, in that box. Yes. So at first we all said, "Oh, Brooklyn," because it was found like in Brooklyn Queens area. Right. And the guy, the one uh, fellow, Spalding, was a teacher yes. at Brooklyn Boys High School. And then I think someone else went to like Queens College too, or something yep. like that. Mm-hmm. We found like um, not a diploma, but a uh, teaching certificate. A wasn't teaching it? certificate, I think a graduation thing too. Yeah. So there were a lot of ties to down here, but then the whole bridge was the bigger part was because initially we were going to try to contact someplace down here right we were going to reach out to brooklyn yeah to send them the library card but yeah this was this was it just snowballed yeah and it just it was really awesome because you always want a moment like this where things just start clicking but it just clicked so fast and just so perfectly and well, then we, remember, we la- actually laid the pictures out. It was almost like a family tree. Yeah. That this one, oh, these are the grandparents, the grandchildren of this one. And this one was this. And it, we laid, you know, as best we could on the reference desk. Yeah. But we, we kind of figured it out. And the part that, talking about technology with Ancestry, I mean, you know, there are other genealogy sites out there, but I don't think anything comes close to Ancestry. We were able to, um, I think it was the 1940 census, we found one of the baby's pictures the, the name of that person yes. in the 1940 census yes. and found out they were a baker who baked in a bakery that was across the street from the Jamaica station from the Long Island Railroad. Yeah. And they had, they listed his home address in Queens. I forget what the, this section was. Yeah. But I said, I went back to my father. Yeah. I remember said, this. Do you remember, you know, the name of the guy and where he lived in Queens, where he bought this footlocker from? He's like, you know, crusty old cop from the city i don't know and i said well if i give you the address will it ring a bell he's like i don't know so i said well it was this address and then he stopped for a second he says i think that's where he lived mm-hmm. so that gave us direct provenance yep to the materials and it and we were able to trace it all the way back in fact one of the pictures of one of the really old pictures with an old guy with a beard we found out was a stagecoach driver in san francisco that they had family had <laughs> Split, had there were, split a little. There were two families. There were the yeah. Bentons and the Spaldings. And the Spaldings went to Brooklyn. Yes. And then I remember and that. The Bentons they were leapfrogged we and went to, I think, first Minneapolis. Yeah, because it, it was like, I always thought it was like Missouri or something like, but they, they were leapfrogging that way. And then he ended up all and the way out there. One of the sisters died. Yes. So some of them stayed in, in Minneapolis. Yep. And the rest of them continued, continued on to San on. Francisco. Yep. And the ones in Minneapolis became rich because they started a linseed oil business or something like that, where they developed linseed oil. And the rest of them went to California, and they traveled back and forth. And then, yep. talk about another smoking gun thing. I was When I was speaking to a guy up in Canton about it, there's one picture, and I don't know if you remember this picture, where somebody's sitting at a piano, and there's people standing around the piano. Yeah. It was the... It was the the nexus between the Spaldings and the Bentons, where they were all in the same house. Oh, wow. So when I was speaking with 
Emily Owen, who's the director at Canton, she had said to me, this was the, the picture that linked the two families together. And then, and I, then I, you actually had photographic evidence of it right in front of right. that. To us, you know, that's like I was saying, to us it was like a, it's a group picture, you know, but to them it's it's something that ties the families together. Right. Not just, you know, based on word and on documents, but it's physical evidence that, you know. Uh, uh, you talk about the creepy part of it. Uh, not creepy. I guess creepy is not the right word. The, the interesting part about it was when I was speaking to the local history guy up there, he said, oh, yeah. I know this person, yeah, he lives in one of the Benton houses, and he lives in one of the Spalding houses. The farmhouses are all still there. One of them's collapsed, but mm-hmm. they're, they're still there. You want to go take a look? And I didn't have enough time. If I yeah. was spending another day there, he could have taken me on a walking tour. Well, we kind of did that. Houses. Remember that we were on Google Maps because yes. we were going through, and we were like, oh, wow, that's one of the houses. Because yep. you know we had a picture from like the turn of the century, the last turn of the century. I always forget to say that. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> they... <laughs> Um, but we were able to go through Google Maps and see stuff like that, it's, it's which is why the you know it's it's very history based, but at the same time we're using so much technology to solve problems and to you know catalog it and to get this stuff home. Yeah, and the the weirdest part was most of the people in those pictures were buried in that town, including yeah. the Brooklyn people. Yeah, was we that was one of the things that we didn't we understand. Found, we found find our find my find the grave or whatever yes. it was, and we found the headstone for the Spaldings. Yes, which is like wow, because they died a really long time ago. Could you imagine? You know, I don't know if they retired back up there or they died in Brooklyn, and they went and they brought they them. brought the bodies back. Yeah, but probably by train or horseback. Yeah, probably yeah. by train. I mean, if. But yeah, they, they had a lot of money, so that's, they probably that's could afford it. Because that's what threw us off, because everything was down by us. Right. But then their bodies were up state, yeah. you know, far upstate. Yeah, that was far for us upstate. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that was really kind of a, as far as you know, a local history geek kind of thing. You and got to see the geek side of me. That's just you. Ha- you got to fully experience the geekiness of local history. Right. Because and I'm always I've been big history buff forever, so yeah. this was kind of neat to see it on a personal level. Yeah. So it was really a lot and of the fun. And the fun thing about local history is that it does become personal because it is your town and it is your community and you want to preserve the history. And it's, you know, it's a part of the story. And there's a certain pride to that too. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. And it was so nice when I went up there. Oh, um, yeah. But th- there was funny, the even funnier story was, now they're way up by the Canadian border. So when I was Cause, yeah, because us looking at the map, we're like, well, where is this place? And right. it was because like even for you to say, because you're you know you're the king of going upstate New York, and but <laughs> you know for me anything past Westchester is far. Right. Uh, you were like, that's far, and I'm like, wow, that must be far. Yeah, it was three hours north of anything that I knew. Yeah. So when I um, what was really interesting was they're up there, and I'm trying to make arrangements to mail this box of stuff up there mm-hmm. the director had emailed me and said well the guy who's our building manager is gonna be in rocky point, point. for a family reunion and the he, estonian hall in the estonian hall that's in middle island in middle island right yep. he was in middle he island was in middle island yeah and you said that to me and i'm like this is this is this is just amazing it's, it's meant to be it's meant to be and he literally came and we did the transfer yep. um right at the library yeah 
Because that was right down the road. It was very uneventful. Yeah. But it was. Just but just one the of those fact things. that things Somebody lined from up. Somebody up there who's almost never on Long Island. Um, only I think he's only been to Long Island maybe once or yeah. twice in his life. But to come to Estonian Hall in Middle Island, you know, and just to be able to hand off the. Yeah. The the box of stuff. And like, then they had a local history event. Yeah. Which they kind of used one of the featured, um, you know, centerpieces was the collection of photos. And they asked me to come up to be up there for part of it, and it was just such an amazing thing to yeah. to see, and to know that it was just, you know, us two geeks with a box of stuff. Yeah. So if it, if any lesson is learned from this whole conversation <laughs> is don't throw out the old photos. At don't least give it out. to your local library because we'll find a home for it. Yeah, it's great. It's <laughs> or your local historical society or something along those lines. Save the old pictures and the old papers. Wow, but that was just so much. Yeah, because then as you can see, it's it's. Sometimes it just works out, and it's amazing, and people are really appreciative to get stuff back home. Because it means something to Yeah, them it might community. not mean something to you, but it means something to somebody else. Right. So just switching gears for a minute, um, there's another thing that I have found interesting working with you, is that uh, with regard to technology, you are a Class A1 geek. <laughs> yes, nerd, yes. As, as some people have said that I am as well. Yeah. So... Um, I wanted to, you know, we used to spend countless hours talking about technology, uh-huh. you know, whether the... We still do. Like, we're always oh sending texts back and forth each, each other. other. like, 13-year-old girls. <laughs> like, did, did you hear they're going to get rid of iTunes? Uh, yeah. Did, did you hear the iPhone it's 7 like, may have two cameras? Yeah. The yeah. new ports and the new plugs and then this and that. Oh, God. It's what so What are we going to do about this and that? And <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so. yeah, my husband will just roll his eyes. Like, what geeks are you guys talking about now? It's like, nothing. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, it's hysterical. And, yeah, and Kim's like, oh, is that Melanie again? Yep. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we so, geek out oh completely. God, it's, it's hysterical. It's, it's absolutely hysterical. So I wanted to talk a little bit about something that we were both involved in, mm-hmm. was the iPad classes. Yeah. Because that really was, it, that started as an iPod class that you had started. Yeah. And then it just snowballed into. It a, actually started, I was thinking about it, it actually started out as iTunes back in 2008, right. 2009. Yeah. Because I was one of the only people who had uh, not that I wasn't one of the only people, but I figured, you know, I was asked to create a class, so I created a class about iTunes. Then the iPod Touch came out, and that basically fractured the whole class. It went from iTunes on the computer to then device-based, mm-hmm. and it just snowballed. So we worked on it constantly. Uh, once you came on board, too, like it was constantly being updated and revised with the new... Every time a new iOS came iOS out. iOS came out. Um, you know, we expanded the classes from one class to two classes to three classes. Now we're back down to two classes. It was just constant, you know, work and finding new apps and things like that. Well, what was really cool about it, too, was, uh, you know, I, I always tell people about the story. But when we would teach the class, the settings section of the class was so big. I said, mm-hmm. I could teach a class just on settings. Yeah. And then, you know, the light bulb went off. So it's like, why don't And then I grabbed the phone and texted Mel and said, why aren't we making settings its own class? Yeah. So then it turned from a single class to two classes. Yeah. Then we kind of revamped the app section into its own class. Because the app class was actually, a pr- te- when we first did it, was a separate class. It was Android and Apple That's app right. class. Mm-hmm. And then we realized that we couldn't do that because the two operating systems and the two, you know, devices were just completely different they were similar but conceptually they were the they, same but functionality wise they were it completely was different. yeah so we separated that out and then we actually only recently did we kind of go back to the android classes because androids like i said earlier are so fragmented 
that now we have an Android's users group. And that makes some sense. Which, you know, people can come in, so it's not just... And complain about their Android phones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because when we teach an iPod class or, or an iPhone class, you can bring in an iPod Touch, you can bring in an iPad and an iPhone and pretty much teach everyone at the same time. And right. just be like, all right, or an iPad, it's like this, an iPhone, it's like this, but pretty much it's the same. With Android, it depends on who made it, you know... Which version, which version it's lo using. Where it's loaded in exactly. It. Yeah. So we turned that into an Android user group instead. Well, it's actually evolved here at Sachem a little bit differently. We have we don't have them as frequently as Longwood mm -hmm. does, but we yeah, have we have them about the Android users group is twice a month, and then the full run of the Apple device classes are typically two times a month. Okay. Two. We usually do one class in the series a month. Mm -hmm. So we have the introduction class, then we do a settings class. Then we do the app class. And we're just starting, I think it's next week, photography. Yeah. So, And then I also have a fifth class, which meets every other month. It's an iPhone, iPad users group. And I spend 15 minutes talking about something new and exciting happening with, with the Apple devices. And then literally we sit and we they ask me questions. Mm -hmm. We work on things together and we come up with different ideas and concepts of how do you do this? How can you do this better? Is there an app that can do this? Yeah. Or I'm having a problem, I'm running out of memory, or you know, I'm having a problem playing music, or I'm having a problem with my Wi-Fi. And we kind of brainstorm ideas to help the people with their devices, and people always walk out happy. Yeah. So it, it really is kind of, it's really developed, it's so funny how things develop in different libraries. You and I spoke at the Technology Information Forum, I guess it's two years ago now, uh, where we yeah, cause, yeah. We introduced the uh, the classes and, and it we was gave the handouts to everybody. And it was amazing seeing some of the differences of the reactions because to us it was just natural to do this. Um, right. Longwood community, we have several um, retirement communities. I think three, at least three or four. Mm -hmm. um, and I think another, uh, we have a couple other ones that are ish. You know, they're not exactly retirement. They're over 55, but they're not retirement. Yeah, they're, they're like a little more mixed. Mixed use. Yeah. Yes. Um, Houses, condos. But they, they skew heavily 55 plus. Right. And um, so we needed to have a whole series of classes. And then what we also do is we do one-on-ones. Um, so after they take the classes, we will sit down with them for 45 minutes and go through things again with them. Um, it this helps people, you know, learn things differently. And I remember at that session, we said how we'll sometimes update the devices and some people were like, oh, you do that? Oh my, Oh, they, it freaked them out. Right. But I had to explain to them that most of the people we deal with aren't at that level to go home and do it. You know, I can't go home with them to sit through doing it with them. And upgrading an iOS is not like upgrading a Windows version yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, we'll, and we'll say straight out, like, look, you know, if anything goes wrong, you know, you're on your own. You're on your own. You have to go and, to back to the and I store. and I make them hit I make them do all the prompts. You know, they will go through the prompts, but then I'll let it sit in our um with our Wi Fi and stuff like that. Right. And then I afterwards I'm able to help them, you know, go through it again. But yeah. it was just interesting seeing the reactions to that. And what was really nice too is um I kind of for a while took the, the classes on the road mm -hmm. and taught classes in other libraries. Yeah. And it's interesting to see how the different libraries have changed the classes. See how organic it was and mm -hmm. how different libraries do different things. Some of them merged all of them into one. Some of them eliminated the app class and merged yeah. it into the first part. So you kind of see different versions of the way the handout was and you can see little grains of what was our handout. Yeah. 
and but now it's completely different because maybe Rogers Memorial did something, or maybe um, you know one of the Hamptons libraries did something different. Or even like with us, you taught the night classes, yes, which was completely different from me teaching the day classes. Yes, it was a different kind of. Patron. It was a different kind of patron, and I remember I would sit because you would teach them on Friday nights sometimes, and you would come out. And I'm like, you're done already. <laughs> like I would go until you know people would ask me how long the class would be. I'm like, it depends. You know, but you would be able to because you had different clientele of. Right. I had people who were probably still working, weren't retired, or if they were retired, they were recently retired. Yeah. As opposed to people you had, which maybe maybe were a little bit older, had been retired for a while, didn't really have the acumen to develop and oh, to or work the with support the even too. Right. Because a lot of times they would say that you know this was given to me by someone. Where are they? Oh, they're out in California. You know, they set up up for me. How many times do we get adoption uh, requests? Oh, a lot of adoption requests. A lot. I want to bring you home (laughs) with me. So, yeah, it's it's really nice to see how that has developed over time. And that's what's good about us, too, though, is that we're not going to guard the information. We'll share it. Yeah. I mean, why why would you want to... Reinvent the wheel painfully. Or say, ha-ha, we have this, you don't. Yeah. When... We made this available. We, I think we set up a, a Google Drive folder mm-hmm. for it that was a shared drive. So yeah. if they, if we, ran, we actually ran out of copies, and the, yeah, the, we did. Yeah. The, the funny part about that is the technology forum isn't usually well attended when we have meetings on the that, eastern end of the island. Yeah. And we were in the Hampton Library, which is in Bridgehampton. Oh God! It took us like what, like an hour and fifteen minutes to get out there. About right, right. So if you're not familiar with Long Island, but you're familiar with hearing what the Hamptons are. This is, if you think of the very tip end of the east end of Long Island, the South Fork, this is three towns from the end. And, you know, we had, we must have had 50, 60 people Yeah, we had a full house, pretty much. And the weather was bad. It was raining. Because it was canceled, I think it was canceled once and it was rescheduled because of the snow. But usually we had the kind of turnout for that particular one. That you would have. That you would have if you were in central Suffolk County or western Suffolk County. And what was nice is you saw the western... Or the yeah the western Suffolk County people come east everything from Half Hollow Hills to Babylon there was such a huge interest in it and the interest continues to this day yeah. I still get emails from time to time saying how did you handle this mm-hmm. iOS upgrade how did you handle this or that yeah and you know it's really that was nice. always fun we would comb through the upgrades and see what changes were we would create handouts ahead of time yes we would test it out first mm-hmm. you know um, so we would be one of the first people to wait the three or four hours to do the update so then we can go through it and then tell the patrons. Right, doing it know. at the desk even though we're supposed to have our phones at the yeah, desk. Yeah, at least during that time period. And it's changed a little bit now. Because 45 minutes. Oh, it's only 44 minutes until it's done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then going through it and then, you know, so it's it's changed because like now I have my phone at the desk all the time because people will come up and ask a question and I'll be like, okay, here, this is how you do it. Yeah. I'll show them how to use a new app that the library has. So... It's changed even in the past couple of years. Yeah, you know, for us with our phones at the desk, our iPads at the desk, and right because it's a it's a teaching tool now. Now it's yeah. It's not you know we're texting somebody and we're we're goofing around or yeah. you know goofing off. No, it's a, it's actually yeah. a teaching tool now. Yeah, for the first couple of like months, I was always like, I'm not texting. I'm actually using my phone to do something. I'm right, trying to exactly. make a class. Yeah, you know, or I'm trying to answer a question with. Or someone. doing screenshots and emailing them to yourself yep. or something. Yep. Yeah, to do the the handouts. Yeah. So that was always fun. That was always that was so much fun. <laughs> And I don't know if we're ever going to have something like that again until something comes out that's going to be that as was, revolutionary as a smartphone or a tablet. At that level, I mean, because like everything else that's coming down, it seems more not like so close and personal. 
Right. Like, you know, like the electric cars and like, you know, Tesla and stuff like that. Um, some of like the new uh, like ways of sharing information and things like that. It's they're all like branching off of that to where but it's not something that you can bring in and it's not so like literally handheld portable personal portable. And I mean, because think of how much these things have, you know, ingrained themselves into our lives. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so. it, it, do you remember the, the, the article about if you were to go and purchase all the Everything, things that, yeah. these, that this one phone yeah. can do? It was something like $5 million or something, some crazy numbers, the flashlight, the sound recorder, yeah. you know, the, the computer. The compass, the level, like even little things like yeah. that, your music collection, right. um, you know, it, it, it's it's a whole th- it's everything rolled into one. That's why I'm saying like everything else as big as coming down now. It's 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 not as close and personal as is. I'm sure something will come. I mean, I'm sure they'll work on something. They'll work on the implant soon. I can't wait for this. <laughs> I really can't wait. Like I seriously can't wait for them to be able to download information into my brain. I'll be the first one to sign up for that. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to go that far. I will. I'm going to be like 80 years old. Be like, all right, come on, boys. Work on me. Let's go. <laughs> 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 whatever Google is then or whatever. Like, yeah, I'll be your I'll be your guinea pig. I'll definitely do that. That's awesome. <laughs> well, man, we yammered on. I we? know. Sorry. This is what happens when you get two old friends together. Yeah, who are both geeks. <laughs> exactly. So we're going to take a quick break because I am going to torture Melanie with the list that... I guess we're calling it a top 10 librarian questions, but I think there's 11 questions. Oh, okay. So the bonus question, the, top yeah. 10 plus a bonus I question. I guess it's a bonus <laughs> question, yeah. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will hit her up with the uh, list of questions. Yay. So stay right there. Cardone from the Longwood Public Library, and we are now going to ask her. Oh man, I gotta come up with a better name. <laughs> the top ten list librarian, top ten librarian questions. You know, I drove back from Canton, thinking what can I call this, and came up completely. You should stumped. look up a Dewey number for it, like of quizzes or something like that. Oh, like the three sixty three point four quiz. List. <laughs> Or maybe I should just look up to see what David Letterman would be under. Like mm, exactly, night, yeah. Was it 781 whatever. for like entertainment or something yes. like that? No, that's music. Sorry. <laughs> so the questions uh, inspired, or these questions were inspired by the website Literary Hub, which is a website with very interesting library-related stories and interviews. You can see their work by visiting www.lithub.com. Uh, and I always tell people to check them out because they do do amazing work for librarians and the literary world in general. They really have some really cool stuff on their site mm-hmm. almost daily. It's almost like BuzzFeed for librarians. Yeah. I see a lot of things come over from them. So check them out, libhub.com. Thank you, Library Hub. Okay, here we go. You okay, ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay. What did you want to be when you were a child? I wanted to be an astronaut. 
It's want? funny. <laughs> that that seems to be very popular. I always say of our of our generation that is the question. That's the that's what we wanted to be when we grew up. I wanted to be an astronaut, which actually led me to join the military because I found out in order to be an astronaut, you had to be a pilot in the military. So that's why I went that way. Nice. I was invested. What was your first memory of a library, and who brought you to the library for the first time? I bet you it was a Longwood library, too. Yeah, right? it was a Longwood you, library. You're a lifer. You I'm, grew up in the district. I grew up in a district. Um, it was actually before the, the current library was built originally. Um, we were in a storefront. kind of like Billy Blake's? Yes, like kind of like how we were for an, reno- renovation, and I remember being in there. I also remember, oh. The leaky roof? No, I don't remember that. To me, it was a fabulous place to be, but I heard horror stories from the old timers and stuff like that. They're like, yeah, we hated it. I'm like, it was wonderful. I also remember, though, my... I want to say like second or third grade at my uh, library at my elementary school. I remember being in there too. So yeah. Okay. So when did you be decide to become a librarian? We may have covered this earlier. Yeah, it was basically two thousand six, two thousand five, um, at Queen at Queen uh, Queen's College at um, University of Louisville. That's when I decided because I had never even crossed my mind before then. Okay. So if you. Um, if you weren't going to be a librarian, what would you have picked to be your profession? Not that you weren't already going to baking school. I know, the military, military. baking school, um, probably something in history still, like history or English, so something along those lines. Actually, um, now that I'm thinking about it, like a, a preservationist or a book conservationist, but that involves too much science. Mm. <laughs> So who was your favorite fictional librarian? Oh, okay. Um, this is where the geek flag comes out. Um, I knew you'd have an answer for this. Jocasta knew um, from S- Star Wars, the Jedi librarians and Jedi archivists. They actually are seriously. What? There was one. Yes, Jocasta knew. She was in the prequels. I mean, she was kind of snobby because she did say, you know, we don't have anything. The collection is complete, and it was wrong. But they actually have very awesome. Look them. Up. How did I miss that? I know there's even Jedi historians too. That's I mean now it's not canon anymore except for Jocasta, but I'm not too sure about everyone else. But um, she they are like my favorite librarians. Um, and Jean Wolfe's book of the Long New Sun. There's a couple. There's a librarian guild in there which is really hardcore. Um, <laughs> I mean yeah, it's kind of weird. But the, my favorite librarian for a fictional character is Lyriel from the um, Oporson trilogy. She's another badass librarian <laughs> who has an awesome dog for a sidekick. Yeah, so this is me. <laughs> this is the geek that I love. <laughs> I'm a book nerd, too, so... I love yeah. it. Okay, so what's your favorite section of the library, and you can't say the local history room? <laughs> um, <laughs> probably the 900s with history um, or the cookbook section. And actually, no... Uh, the manga section too, the graphic novel and manga section. <laughs> I have wide ta- varying taste. Probably three hundred two with the military. Um, pretty much any section in the library. Pretty much except, the library. Except for the math and science section. Ew, All right. So ew, yeah, then yeah. then everything else I kinda like. Okay. So if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to your library? And yeah, definitely infinite space. I would love to turn it into a community center. Um well, you know, so, that's the trend, right? Yeah, but, like, I'm talking, like, a YMCA slash library. Swimming pool. Swimming pool, you know, rock climbing wall, 
um, a place where people can just live. CrossFit. Yeah, like <laughs> have everything there. Um, but that would be that would be my goal. I mean, especially for where we are, we don't have something like that. So for our library, I would love to have, you know, that would be my dream. I win, you know, the $400 million Powerball. That's what I'll turn it into. <laughs> okay, now switching it a little bit, what do you love about your library? Besides the local history room, I love my coworkers. Um, you work with some pretty I work, people. yeah, like we have each other's back. You know, we are always looking to help each other. Um, I love that our administration lets us like learn new things, go to different conferences, just constantly learn and adapt and not just stay, you know, how we used to be. They're letting us grow and change. And I, I do like that, that we are able to stay a library but still adapt and change with the times. Because you have to. You have to. And if you don't, then you're just a, an old building with books in it. Yeah, and we have to serve our community too, so we're adapting that way too. Because mm -hmm. the community around us is changing, we have to change too. Definitely. So that's what I like about it. Okay. So what was the weirdest thing that's ever happened in the library? Not the worst, not the this most disgusting, just the weirdest thing. Is it like interactions with patrons? Could be anything. I mean, because <laughs> I just from working at Longwood, I know the interaction with patrons can be pretty challenging sometimes. The weirdest thing, besides the people coming into the local history room, want to know who got killed in their house. Um, <laughs> I get that all the time. Who my house is haunted? Who died in here? I, I, I. Your house was built in 1970. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the weirdest thing was a person who came up to me wanting to get the translation for In God We Trust into Latin. And I told him, and he was looks... Was it Mr. Maldonado? No, this it? is someone else. <laughs> no. Because he's come up with some pretty good ones. Yeah. Well, that's he's, his, the weirdest thing with my interaction is he actually gave me chickens. So he rescued chickens from a... Uh, um, a post office, and I was able to find homes for them, like to re rehome them. But for this one, it was, it turns out the person wanted to get a tattoo on his neck of In God We Trust, um, but thought In God We Trust was E Pluribus Unum. And he actually stopped on the way to the tattoo parlor to ask the library a question about how do you say In God We Trust in Latin. And um, yeah, I, we, I get a lot of weird translation questions for tattoos, oddly enough. And thankfully, most of these people are on their way or thinking about it. And, and I'm able to be like, um, that's not how you say that. Go talk to the <laughs> professor at Stony Brook, maybe. Or go, t you know, yeah, don't use Google Translate. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Yeah, you've, you've seen those horror stories. If they asked ask the librarian, they might have presented, you know, having not translatable tattooed on their neck in Russian. But, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I, I, I have a lot, like, my daughter always says to me, what happened today at work? And it's. You know, any crazies today or anything fun today. <laughs> yeah, it's, my kids ask me that too. Yeah. Any crazies today? Yeah. It's always interesting, but for the local history side, I always get the who died in my house. Who died in my house. Yes. I love it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so who's your favorite regular patron? I have a lot of them for different reasons. Um, my favorite regular patron for a long time, um, that kind of topped everyone else because I have lots of favorites for different reasons was um, Lily um, from a local community. She came into the library at 83 with an iPhone 3. Oh, Lily, said, yeah. Showed me, how to, showed me how to use, how do I take pictures on this? And I had explained to her she couldn't take pictures on it because it was an older version. 
And then I helped her for a couple of months, and then she disappeared for a couple of months. She came back with an iPad, and she said the only thing she wanted to learn how to do was to take pictures of her at her granddaughter's wedding. And she turned 88 last year, and she was able to make it to her granddaughter's wedding and take pictures. And she's still using you know, her iPad and her iPhone. She's one of my favorites. Um, the other favorites I have are basically the kids that kind of grew up along with my daughter, um, or the even the kids who started out older and you know they're now going to college and things like that. It's just nice seeing people grow up in the library. So Lily is like my favorite of my favorites, and then but as a whole, I love the kids who kind of come through and grow, and you get to watch them grow and you know move on and things like that. So that's always nice. That's cool. Okay, so here's the load, the, the big, big question we All always right. ask at the end. What are people without library cards missing out on? The world. Seriously. There's so much stuff. And that's just putting it in small terms. There's just, you're missing out on everything. It's like they say, if you don't have a passport or library card, you don't know what you're missing. It's, I, you can do so much stuff. You have, like, we have museum passes. We have as you know, like tech help, the local history, just classes. You can keep on learning, you know, for yourself or for your children. It's it's a connection to the world. And that's what we actually, like the tagline is, like, you're one meal to the world, because that's what you're missing out on. It's it's literally like a key to the universe. That's the best value in town, too. Yeah, it is. It really is. And I think the more you use it, the, the more you get out of it. And you don't have to use it the old way. It's not just books. Yep. It's a lot of different things. Yep. Yeah. See, it wasn't that bad. No, right? it wasn't that bad. <laughs> it wasn't too terrible. <laughs> wow. Well, I can honestly say this has been awesome. Good. It's, it's been so, fun. It's so much fun doing this, and this is the first time I've done it with an old friend. So yeah. It, it really is a lot of fun. Um, so, But that's all the time we have, Okay. unfortunately. So, uh, unfortunately, that is... The end of the road for us for this <laughs> podcast. Um, if you have any questions or comments on the show, please go to the contact us section on the website, thelibrarypros.com, where we'll also have notes and links from all of today's episodes. All of our episodes. We have, yes, boy, I can't read. No, I wasn't reading that from a script or anything. <laughs> um, so you can also check us out on Twitter at the Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash librarypros. And if you don't, don't want to miss a thing, don't forget you can subscribe on RSS. I, uh, we're on iTunes. Uh, we have an Android link on our phone, on our phone, on our website, where you can, it's its own individual um, way you can subscribe. Uh, there's an email subscription link as well, or you can go on to Google Play if you have an Android device. They're really not bad. I we, I think we bashed them a little bit. We didn't, well, I mean, no, it's just, it's easier from our end. Yes, because we are more because Apple people. Well, not just that. It's easier to diagnose and fix problems if you have an Apple in front of you than one of the was 180 different types of devices out there for Android. Yeah, so. exactly. So in our next episode, we're going to have, we're going on the road again to the Levittown Public Library in Nassau County, New York. And we're going to be speaking with Marie Andreski, who's the coordinator of the makerspace that they have, along with three or four other people who are also involved on a daily basis with their makerspace. Uh, we're going to be discussing their, their makerspace, which is called the Innovation Station. And I think um, <clears throat> they are the first true makerspaces in Nassau and Suffolk County. I don't know any other libraries that have 
completely dedicated a section and had it constructed solely for the purpose of being a makerspace. So that really is kind of interesting. Uh, I've been there, and I, I just obsess over the huge sink that they have, the slop sink, which is made of Corian. And it's, I just can't. I'm going to be staring at it the whole time I'm there. It's, it's pretty pathetic, but that's what gets me excited. But anyway, I think they're one of the first makerspaces on Long Island. Uh, Sachem is rushing to be the second. We're working on it. Um, so remember, the opinions stated by the library pros of, and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob, if Bob were here. Um, I hope he figured out the Wi-Fi uh, at work because I heard last time he was being uh, digitized himself and beamed up to the Tron video game. Yes, kids, uh, there was a video game called Tron. Uh, so yes, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of the library pros and the guests and not of any... Not, I can't believe I'm messing this up. I always mess this up. And the views expressed are not those of the Sachem Public Library, the Emma S. Clark Public Library, Memorial Library, the Longer Public Library, or anyone else other than the people who are speaking into these microphones right now. So with that, Melanie and I are going to listen to our good friend Carlton Welch. Yay, Carl. Another, long, <laughs> another Longwood uh, alum saying goodbye. So we will see you soon. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Cristofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachem Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch. <laughs>